Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Well, you know, I just have a simple message today, but that's what we need, right? We need not, not basic, but simple. Not easy, but profound, right? We need to learn how to live in the power of his resurrection. Live under the influence of his spirit. Because, you know, it's like a lot of people were just kind of Christians in name only. It's like, yeah, I believe. Doesn't really affect my life at all, but I believe. You ever been there? You know, and, and then you get frustrated because it's like, there should be more than this. There should be this power that I'm living in. I, and I don't mean you get more of God. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you are fully connected to the life source. You know, I mean, that's essentially what happens when you say yes to Jesus. It's like you're a dead branch laying over there on the ground. And what God does because of Christ, it's like Christ is the agent that brings life back in. That's what Christ is. He infuses life back into you. But it's like you're a dead branch laying over there on the ground in the tree reaches down, picks up that dead branch, and then grafts it back into itself. And then that life that's flowing through that tree begins to flow through that branch again. That's what happens to you when you say yes to Jesus. Yeah. It's pretty simple. There is a, 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 an intelligence that created everything. And when you strip away all the religious overtones and you just look at the, the magnificence of design and creation... And you, you look at it and you realize, you know, this place could not have created itself. You know, I kind of wish we could just let religion fall away and just realize to be connected to that source takes something that I don't have within myself. And it's God himself reaching into this created dimension, reaching into humanity, becoming human and moving all the darkness out of the way through the exchange of his life so we could be alive in him. That's pretty much it. Amen. Y'all ready to go home? But, you know, of course we have the word of God. We have the Bible. We have all of this stuff. We have thousands of years of rich history, and we have the period where there was the law and all this stuff, and we have the teachings of Jesus. We're not setting that aside and throwing it away and say, let's just be universalists. Let's just be, you know, uh, pantheists or something like that. It's really putting Jesus in his proper perspective as the expression of the invisible God. You know, Jesus gives us the clearest picture of who God is. You know, if you've ever been confused by the Old Testament or reading some of those stories or the different denominations, or I'm telling you, you get, you get I mean, just these people here. We all share what we think happened through Christ and happened in the Old Testament and why this and why life is like it is. And everybody's got a different opinion. But there's one truth, and that is there is one true God, and you can live in him forever by being connected to him, and Christ is that life that regenerates you. If you can receive that, you're good. You know what I'm saying? Because people struggle with all the other stuff that happens. And then that connection teaches you about all that other stuff, right? There's a passage that says you don't need people teaching you. You guys realize that you don't need to be sitting here listening to me teach you? Y'all know that, right? I mean, I know it's Easter, and that's when we go to church, but you don't need me. You don't need, you don't need some man or woman 
telling you who God is. You have the spirit of the living God available to you. Amen? He's your teacher. He's your guide. And that's why we do this, is to help you acknowledge and affirm that connection and encourage you as you learn how to be draw, draw on that life that's flowing through him. You know, when you think about it as a branch, there's another passage that says we live because he's alive. We see we were dead in our sin, cut off from God, really just in darkness. And he said, no, I don't, I don't want them separated from me. I want them in my family. So he did something about it. Amen? Let's look at a passage here in John, because this intrigued me for a while, and then I heard several different teachers talk about what it was all about. But in John, you can put that passage up in John. Check this out. If you've ever read this story, you remember when Jesus, after the resurrection, the stone was rolled away. He comes back to life after passing through the grave, after becoming your sin and your darkness, conquering death as a human so that you could receive that life. He comes back, and he's right there outside the tomb. And the woman that's there is the same woman that in another place, Jesus let her pour perfume all over his feet. She was a prostitute. She was not supposed to be touching him. You know, the Pharisees, the religious, the religious people that seemed like they were the ones that were supposed to have it all worked out, they were appalled that Jesus would let this woman touch him. But in this moment, he says, don't touch me. You know, because I've heard some really goofy things taught about this. It's like, well, she was a woman. She couldn't touch him. Well, wrong. There's something deeper happening here. Jesus said, to, so this is after the resurrection. This is after completing salvation. It's almost complete. There's one more step that he takes here. But can you imagine? Just get the picture here, right? It's, I mean, imagine it's a, it's a still morning, and there's this grave that they're all confused. You know, they've been following him for three years. This is the Messiah. This is God on earth. This is the person that has told us what the future is going to be. This is the person that stirred my soul when he spoke, and he's dead. What is going on? And they're tending the grave. They don't know what to do. They're kind of believing the prophecies, but they're confused, you know, because he told them, three days I'm going to be gone in the grave. So they're going out there, you know, as the women that were probably more faithful. Sorry, I'm not trying to make you men feel bad, but it just... <laughs> they were there, you know, they just... That's how it is with Christianity sometimes. Sometimes you don't know. There's a confusion. It's like, I know that he said this, and I know that he's supposed to be this for me. I don't really know what's going on, so I'm just going to kind of hang out where it was that, that I was connected with him, and I know he's... And then all of a sudden, boom, he's standing right there. Can you imagine? Standing right there, the risen God. And this is what he says. Jesus said, don't cling to me or don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my Father. Now, the ascension that he's talking about is not the one that comes in 40 days after teaching for 40 days on the planet in resurrected form. You know, he spent 40 days after his resurrection here appearing different places and going in different places and teaching. One place he preached about 500 people. I mean, how cool would that be? Here's the resurrected Jesus Jesus held a sermon down there by the river. I mean, I'll sign me up for that meeting, right? 
But in this moment, there's something really, really powerful happening here. And if we understand it, you will forever understand sacrifice and salvation in terms of what God expects and how he provides it apart from your effort and your works. And it's all in this blood right here is what's about to, what he's about to talk about. I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father. You get that? He's very precise to say, and your father. You know, Jesus doesn't count you as a servant anymore. He counts you as a friend. Amen? Amen. Say, I'm a friend of God. God. And all the musicians are hearing that song going on. (laughs) And to my God and your God. He's your God and he's your father. Jump to the Hebrews passage, if you would. So what's going on here? He says, don't touch me. What's going on here? This is what's happening. This is Hebrews 9, 11, and we're going to go through 14. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves or bulls, but with his own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all. Now, why blood? You know, I I didn't know. I was a Christian for a long time. I didn't really, I still was like, why blood? Why sacrifice? And and then he took me back into Deuteronomy and he showed me the life is in the blood. So it's not about appeasing a paganistic, bloodthirsty God that needs to kill something. Because sometimes the sacrifice is taught a little strangely from the character of God's perspective. What we're talking about here is an exchanging of life. You know, there is an element of penalty and judgment on the cross, a big element, but it's more about God manifesting into humanity to consume all of its darkness and destroy it so humanity could be reconnected to the light again. That's, that's why the blood. There's something about the blood. The life is in the blood. So it's not about a murder of a son. It's about an exchanging of places because of the life in the blood. Amen? So this is what he was about to do. When he rose up out of that grave, he had his own blood. He was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek Not like the Levitical priesthood, but it's a representation of what happened under the old. Let me finish reading this, and I'll comment on that a little bit more. So having obtained eternal redemption, say eternal, Eternal. not temporary, because the other system was temporary. When the high priest would go in and offer the blood of goats and bulls, it was only a temporary atonement, only a temporary forgiveness of sin. This is eternal redemption. Amen? Next verse. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer could, uh, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. See, that's what was purified under the old. How much more shall the blood of Christ, this is what he has with him when he comes up out of the grave. He's getting ready to go in and, and make this offering. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, to cleanse your conscience from dead works 
to serve the living God. What he's doing is, is he's taking that blood, right? So get this picture. We have the model of the Levitical priesthood system where you'd bring your sacrifice to the priest and temporarily sins would be forgiven because of the blood of goats and bulls and doves. and all. There are all kinds of different prescriptions for sacrifice. If you've ever read Deuteronomy and, and the first five books there, it, it's, really, it's really interesting. But if you, if you look at it from an external flesh carnal perspective, you think the gods must be angry type thing, right? You think God's really angry and he's got to kill something to keep from killing me. And that's really not what's going on. There's an exchanging of life that's happening. And humans could not be in that place to make that exchange of life. You know, think of it in terms of the light perspective, right? So the human eye can only see a particular section of the light perspective. Is that the word perspective? What do you call it? Spectrum. Smart people. There are, and sound even, you know, there are frequencies, there are waves above and below what we can perceive. And you have to be able to have the right vehicle to engage with that part of the spectrum. You know, that's kind of like what God, life in God is like. He's not distant and far off from over there. He's just higher on the life spectrum. You know what I'm saying? He's here. He's all around. But in order to vibrate on that frequency or see that kingdom or engage in that level of the spectrum of life, you have to be changed or something has to happen to you in order for you to be able to rise up and engage in that part of the spectrum. I'm going to say that about five more times, spectrum. Are, are you following me? You know, if we kind of strip away some of these religious tones and we just realize, you know what, there is an order to creation. There, there, is a, there is an obvious intelligence, the way of the world, and there's a higher, highest form of life in that way. And you can't get there on your own. You get there through the life of Jesus. You don't get there through your own works. You don't leave it because of your own works. You have that life, you keep that life. You're engrafted in, amen? So let's go to this next verse here. And I want you to see this. It says, And he himself is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is very, very powerful. See, because these guys were Jews, and they were, you know, up until now, God was for the Jews. Now, the reason that's true is because ultimately he picked them. He chose Abraham to build a nation around, to get the Messiah in the earth, so he'd have a bloodline that would stay faithful, kind of, <laughs> that he could get himself into the earth. That's what it's about, right? So this was a declaration that those dirty Gentiles can be saved too. It's for everybody. There are particular denominations that say that only the elect can be saved, meaning God has decided ahead of time who can be saved and who can't, and the ones that he's decided will be saved and the others won't. They don't even have a chance. Baloney. Can you say baloney? That's fake meat. See, that's, baloney is like fake news, right? It's fake meat, fake truth. 
Saying that is fake truth. Amen? <laughs> All people have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Praise God. And so we get a little bit more understanding in him making this offering and making this sacrifice in that it's for everybody, but back to him standing before the Father. So he tells Mary, don't, don't touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to my Father. What he's going to do is go into that highest pers pers spectrum. There we go. <laughs> that highest dimension, let's say, of life where God is. You know, the point of singular existence or, or, or the singularity of life, the source from which everything was birthed, that is where God is. And Jesus went into that place to create a way for you to be connected to that forever. And it wasn't about murder. It was about an exchanging of life. So he took his own life, his own blood into that place, and he offered it before the source, the one, God, life himself, Jehovah, our mighty God and king. And he offers it. And it's not to appease his anger. Now, God did have wrath towards sin, and that had to be dealt with. That's part of the cross. God judging sin in Jesus on your behalf on the cross. Say, I'm forgiven. God did have anger and wrath, but it was towards sin, not toward you. That's why he came here himself. So that's what he's doing. He's, he's going there and he's cleansing that place of the accusation towards you. He kicks out the enemy in that moment. You know, Satan no longer has access to that place to, be a, to separate God and man any longer. The only thing that keeps us separated from God and man any longer is not choosing that life that Jesus says here. Just take this life. And he offers that. And I think that's a literal place. I, and I've said it, but man, I'm telling you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to wherever God is, and I want to see that heavenly holy of holies altar, and I want to see that blood sprinkled there. I, I could just imagine, you know, it said that when Cain killed Abel, that Abel's blood cried out. Imagine what Jesus' blood sounds like. I mean, I don't want to get weird, but man, what does life sound like, you know? Looking at that, knowing this is my righteousness. This is my peace. This is, this is my life. This is how I can enter into that eternal dimension because he laid his life down. He became me so that I could be with him and be like him. Man, that's what it's about. And, and we live these lives not knowing that value. We live these lives not knowing the intentionality behind God reaching out to bring you back into his life. I know because I have a counseling office. And I'm telling you, you might think that you're the only one that feels this way, but everybody feels alone and disconnected and not part of a family and not part of a body. And you might have even said this before, even about this place. And we're not perfect. We don't have it all worked out. But if you have the mindset that that's their thing, 
but I'm kind of over here. I'm not really one of them. They just kind of let me hang out, but I'm not really one of them. You ever felt that way? Everybody feels that way. You might feel that way when there's two people in the room, and it's your wife or your husband. <laughs> there's just such this sense of disconnect that we have. And it's like, man, if we can understand how one we are with God, it starts to shed light on how one we really are with each other. Amen. Those of us that have the life in us are to unite and love one another because all it does is it just makes that light grow. And it makes people look, oh, where's that light cut? You know, it's like they come to the bug whacker. They go, you know, as Christians love each other, it just gets brighter. And they die. <laughs> to sin. Amen. <laughs> but it's true. That is what Christianity is supposed to be. We acknowledge our God. We are grateful for the life that he's given us. We love one another, and then it shows the world that God is love. And then they desire him, and then we have heaven on earth. Now, I'm not trying to build an end-time theology. I'm just saying it's the only prescription that Jesus gave us. Your love for one another will be assigned to the unbelieving world, the people that are in darkness, the people that just don't know that you follow me, and when you unite in that love toward the world, they desire him. It says that when we are one in him, in our unity, this is John 17. If you've never read it, go home and read John 17. It's the last prayer of Jesus, well, before he's arrested. It's, it's incredible because the only thing that's on his mind is you. Amen. Your name is mentioned in there. I'm kidding, but go look, go read it. It's, it's incredibly powerful. But we don't feel that. We don't feel that connection, right? We don't feel that value. We, we feel like uh, there's something missing from me. I'm not really who I'm supposed to be. I think back to my life 2, 3, 5, 14, 27, 50 years ago, and I missed it back there, and so it threw me all off, and my life is nothing. No, you're self-righteous if you think that way. You think your acceptance before the Father has something to do with your actions. That's self-righteousness. That's all right. You're forgiven. We're all self-righteous every now and then. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Your acceptance before the Father is whether or not you have the life in you. How do you get that life in you? You say, I don't really understand all of this. I'm not really sure about the whole Noah thing. Not really sure about a talking snake thing. But... I recognize there is an order in the way that the place works. And, and there's got to be more than what I understand. So if Jesus is that connection, somehow, some way, I'm going to say yes to him. And then you get connected to that life, and that life starts to teach you. And it starts to give you a sense of purpose, and it starts to give you a sense of direction and belonging. If you feel disconnected, it's because you have forgotten the price that God paid for you in Christ. If you feel alone, you are in your mind not experiencing that deep sense of oneness that you have that is real with your heavenly Father. If you feel like you've missed it or you know, maybe one day you're going to get there, 
You don't realize that you already are there with him, one with him. Now, of course, that life should continue to teach you and it should bear fruit in this world. I mean, I'm not saying that you just get saved and live like hell from there. That's dumb. I mean, is sin okay? No. This is not an opportunity to just say, well, I'm good with God, so I can just do whatever I want to. Who says that? I'll tell you who says that. The, the overly religious and legalistic person that's only doing the right thing because they're supposed to. You remove that restriction off of them, and their heart is revealed. So this is what it's about now. It's acknowledging our God, staying connected with him in any moment, in every situation, in every conversation, in every aspect of your life, with every relationship, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you were that dead branch that has been picked up and put back into God and you have the life of God flowing through you? Do you know that in every situation, you're getting ready to go out of here, you're going to make some decisions. You've got life to live. It's waiting for you out there all day long. It's waiting for you life. And it needs things from you, decisions. It's going to make demands on you. You have to first acknowledge, I'm connected with life. I have life within me. This thing shall not overtake me. This world will not kill me. This world will not separate me from God. These circumstances that I'm facing are nothing compared to who I am in Christ. And you tell your life these things. And it doesn't matter what happens to those situations. They usually get better because that starts to condition your mind to think like God. And so you start making decisions like God would make on this planet, like Jesus. And it just changes everything. You're connected with God. You're one with him. See, some of y'all are facing some pretty serious things. And you think, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I don't have any value for myself. I'm just not really worth anything. And this is what you have to, this is why God is important in your life. This is why God gives you the most deep sense of purpose for existence. Because it's not about you. It's about him living through you and you participating in that life. This is why when you feel disconnected and you feel alone, it's not true. Say, it's not true. It's not true. I, am not alone. I am not alone. But can you actually connect with that and it do something different in your life? Are you with me? I mean, can you stop at some point in your life, at some point in your day, <laughs> and turn your attention back on your connection with God, not trying to make sense. I mean, when, think about this. When you are in that place eventually, and that's all that there is is your connection with God in heaven. I mean, I don't mean to air quote heaven like it's not real, but, you know, that's the best way we understand it. What are you going to lack there? What is it that you don't have in that place? And, and do the things in this world matter in that place? And see, realizing that you're already connected with him now from here because of that blood that has been shed, that life that's been shed, you're already connected in that. 
I'm going to give you something that's, a, that's some of y'all have heard this before, and I just made this up, so, you know, you can take it or leave it. People make stuff up all the time, and they say that it's in the Bible. No. I'm telling you, I'm giving you the disclaimer. I made this up, okay? <laughs> I think it's scriptural, but this is how I, I've helped people overcome the sense of feeling like they're not doing enough. And it points people back to Jesus. So it's just a method, right? Let's look at this passage here in Revelation. In Revelation 4.11. Now, this is in pretty powerful. This is after a description of the throne of God. There's angels flying around singing how holy God is. There are stones there that are brilliant and bright. There's flashes of light. There's just this... Um, it, everything that you can imagine the throne of God would be and more. And that's the description that's happening here. And they're declaring things about God. And I think they give us the meaning of life in the description of the throne of God. And he says this, You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, for you have created all things, and by your will... In the original language, it says, for your good pleasure, they, were existed, they, they, were, they exist and are created. So the key in there is that the reason life is happening is because it is God's will. It is God's good pleasure to have created everything. That's why you're here. That's why you're breathing God's air, because it brings him pleasure for you to exist. If you want to know what your purpose is, it's not found in what you do really, really well. Because you've all taken those profiles, right? It's like, let me find my gifts. Let me find my purpose. Let me find my call. And, and I'm going to answer all these questions about my ego. And it's going to tell me who I am. And it's going to tell me what I'm supposed to do for God. It's going to tell me why God created me. What? You ever taken those? Raise your hand if you. Yeah, a lot of people have taken those. That's not your purpose. Now, take calling and set that aside. I'll get there in a second. But your purpose of existing, the reason you're here, is because it brings God pleasure to have you in his family. The reason God created you was so that you would be his child. Amen? Whether you do anything for him or not, your purpose is fulfilled if you say yes to Christ. That's pretty powerful. You're not defined by what you do and what you don't do. Now, given that the condition of the world is that it is, because God gave mankind dominion over this planet, and because he declared that, he set that framework in place, like that's how he structured it to work, he can't just go against that. I mean, he, he's, he's a man of integrity, let's say. He can't go against his word and just come here and do anything he wants to because mankind has dominion over this. There's going to be a time when that lease runs up, let's call it, and it goes back to him, and man, I say, well, just as soon as I'm done preaching, Lord, we can do that, you know. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's what, that's what we're waiting for, the fullness of time to come. I don't really understand all that or everything that's going to happen up until that point, but that's what we're waiting for is the fullness of time to come, the fullness of humanity's dominion over this planet to come, and God takes it back and sets it back to how he wants it to be. Because, you know, the planet is not like God wants it right now. 
It was when he first created it, and it was perfect in the garden. Afterward, when he takes total control back over and sets it back to perfection, his will will reign in the earth. But everything else in between is mankind's dominion messing it up. And him doing whatever he can legally do to keep a group of people alive to get his Messiah into the earth. I mean, that's the Bible in two minutes. <laughs> Your purpose is not to try and figure out what you're supposed to do to make God happy. I know that's a little, uncomfort- a little uncomfortable because we think, well, no, I'm supposed to do all that. I'm supposed to go through. God did not put you through that thing to get you to where you are. Your decisions did. Life happens. God, the way that he works through you and brings you into his intent and purposes is through his word and through his spirit. And he has only good things for you. All good gifts come from him. Amen? He wants to bless you. Why does he want to bless you? Because when you inherit or when you experience his promises, he sees that and he gets the glory. For you to walk as a blessed child of God free. And freedom is offensive to some people. Don't flaunt it in front of people's faces. You know what I mean? We get, like when we start discovering grace and we start discovering the freedom that we have in Christ, people get a little bit like a little egotistical with it. It's like, oh yeah, let me show you how religious I'm not, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, don't, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? You've never done that, but you know. But I just want you to really walk out of here with a sense of this. The reason you're breathing. Because I know you have the question, what am I supposed to do, God? Why am I here? This big thing just happened to me, now what? What does my life mean now? What am I supposed to do now? I've done all these things. Maybe you've had great success happen and you're coming to retirement or you feel a shift or whatever is happening. You know, whatever it is, your life up until this point has defined you to some degree. I'm asking you to completely let go of that, (laughs) you know, and just rest in knowing I don't really, I don't have to judge my past. I just want to experience this moment with you, God, right now, be incredibly thankful and grateful for this creation that you've given me, that I have your life inside of me, and I'm just going to live in a loving relationship with you. And I'm going to let that spill out to the others around me. And I'm going to help them understand you too can be connected to this source of life. It's not about works. It's not about deeds. It's not about even believing all the specific right things. It's about receiving what Jesus did for you. And this is not just a salvation message. Honestly, a lot of believers need to hear this kind of message. I mean, I'm not just trying to get people born again. I'm trying to get people that have been born again for a really long time to live from that place, not from your works. You know that one passage that talked about having your conscience cleansed from dead works? See, we're created unto good works, but dead works are those things that you're trying to do to keep God happy. That's what a dead work is. A dead work is something that you're doing because you think God is going to receive it as an offering to then be more favorable to you. 
That's why God didn't receive Cain's offering in the very beginning because he brought it to him under his own effort and strength. The reason Cain's offering was rejected is because it was an attempt at self-righteousness. Look what I've done, God. You owe me. God, I served. I've been faithful. I went to church. I wrote the check. I didn't cuss. I didn't drink. I didn't, you know, we all have these levels, right? I this, I that. You owe me, God. Why did this happen? This wasn't supposed to happen to me, and it did. You got to let that go. That stuff that's in this life that doesn't have anything to do with what God wants in your life. God wants life and peace, righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen? Amen. Stop judging God and find purpose in breathing and acknowledging Him. And then you step into your calling. I said I wanted to leave you with this, and I didn't leave you with anything, so this is what I'm going to leave you with. (laughs) There's a difference between your purpose and your calling. Your calling, I think, is because the earth is in the state that it's in, God needs you to represent Him. That's not why you were created, but because the earth is messed up, God says, hey, Donald, Cheryl, I need you guys to show people my love through prayer. You know, worship team, this is what I need you to do. I need you to worship me and show people and sing about me. Those of you that are in sales or in business and finance, I need you to be successful in your area of life and carry my light into all those different places that you're going. You single moms or you mothers, what I need you to do, he's saying, I need you to love your children because there's people watching you. And your love for your child can be a reflection of me. Whatever it is, wherever your calling is, God says, you're connected with me. I have you. You're one with me. We're good. Now, I would like for you to function this way on this planet because these people don't know yet. That's your calling. And your calling is not defined by what you do really. You ever heard this one? It's like, here's your calling. This is what you're supposed to do. Find that one thing that you do better than anybody else on the planet. You ever Raise your hand if you've been taught that, seriously. Oh, yeah. oh I was more of you than that. Like, that's your purpose. God created you, and you do one thing better than everybody else on this planet. Well, I mean, I'm telling you, of, of all the things that I can do, I promise you there's somebody else that can do it better. And you too. My wrestling coach used to tell me, he said, I don't care how good you think you are, there's somebody always that can beat you. Your, pur- your purpose is not defined by what you do really well. Now, you might get to just use your skills and your talents and your God-given gifts to walk out your calling, but you exist to be a child of God. Your calling, I think, is defined by this. Finally, I'm going to get to what I'm going to leave you with. You ready? It's a question. Who do you love? Not what do you do really well. Not why did God make me. Not what's the strategy that heaven laid out for my life ahead of time. Like, I got, you know, like, like God's a sideline coach writing out the plays ahead of time. And you're like, and over here you're going to run around this, you know. 
man, it's, we get weird with that. But it's answered in this, who do you love? So think about that for a minute. Who, who do you love? Well, I love my spouse. I love my children. Okay, well, do they know that you love them? Because remember, our love for one another is a sign to the world that we follow Jesus. The way that you interact with your family, is that a sign to the world that you're following Jesus? Uh-oh. See, this is where life gets, this is where life happens. Because this is where we need transformation. This is where we need to yield to that inner righteousness and holiness and let it teach us and shape us and transform us outwardly so that we properly reflect him. So who do you love? Do you love, you know, like for us as a church body, we love uh, suffering indigenous people in Kenya that have no access to water or education. You know what I mean? Like, we want to do something about it. Do, we, do they know that we love them? Yeah, we got together and built them, drilled a well. and You know, so you're, you, the people group that you love may not be on the other side of the world. It may be your neighbor. So who do you love, right? Starts there. Do they know that you love them? In other words, to walk out your call. We're talking about walking out your call, and we're talking about adding value to other people's lives, right? See, because we sat valueless, dead, cut off from God, and God had such value for us that he reached down and brought us back into himself when we said yes to Jesus. That's the value God places on us. But other people don't know their value, so you get to add value to other people. You get to help other people understand just how valuable they are to God, and you do it not by figuring out what you're really good at. You do it by loving them. So, so specifically, showing them God's love for them. So who do you love? Do they know that you love them? And if not, what can you do to show them your love? And those, the who determines the what. Because we're sitting there saying, what am I supposed to do, God? That's the wrong question. Who am I supposed to love, God? Well, you know that. But you might be sitting there saying, I don't love anybody. <laughs> well, you know what? You get to start with yourself. You get to start with administering God's love to yourself. Can you do that? Can you bring yourself to a place where you go from feeling worthless to where you actually start experiencing the love of God for yourself? You're the hardest one to minister to. You, 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 you accomplish that, you can reach anybody. You know I'm telling you the truth. But it's a matter of the heart, what's going on in the inside between you and God. Who do you love? Do they know that you love them? And what action can you take to show them that love? Do you need training? Do you need resources? Do you need a, con a, a building? You know what I mean? Like, what is it that you need? And God will start adding those things and providing those things to you as you start to walk toward those people and show them, I'm going to love these people. I'm going to show them your love. And, and then he just starts adding to you what he needs you to have to bring them into this loving relationship with him. It's really pretty simple. You know, it's not about the rules and the do's and the don'ts. Jesus took care of all that. He gave you righteousness so that you can live from it. You can live transformed. You can live under the power of his grace to walk into this world equipped with everything God has to show his love and reflect his glory. 
Amen? Because he loves you. That's, it's just the bottom line. So I do want to take an opportunity. But, but leave here answering that question. Who do I love? Do they know that I love them? And what can I do or what do I need to begin to show my love to this particular people group? Because you might not have the skill that you need to walk out your call. I mean, that happens. It's like, okay, well, I'm supposed to do this. Well, I don't know how. So I guess I'm a failure. No. If you know how to love those people, then God adds everything else. I know I kind of keep going, but I keep hearing things, so I don't want to... Just set your attention on him. You know, just set your, inten- your attention on, you know, a light, a spirit, a, a serene place, whatever it is for you, where God is, and just realize you're connected to God. God, I acknowledge you. In my mind and in my heart, I don't understand everything. I'm not sure I even believe all of this stuff, but I know that there's got to be something. And I'm willing to believe that Jesus is somehow related to that. And I'm willing to open myself to that spirit and say yes to you, Jesus. And then begin to be led and taught by you and by your spirit from here forward. So I want to give you an opportunity. You can keep your heads down and your eyes closed. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never received him, and you'd like to for the first time today, just lift up your hand. We have some things that we want to give you to help you along the way. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I don't think I want to. Just lift up your hand. It can even be real fast. And if you're sitting there and you want to, but you're not going to raise your hand, it's all right. Just inside, just, just acknowledge to God. I thank you. I thank you for life. I recognize that there's order. I recognize that there's design. I don't get it, but I'm willing to open myself up to you. I'm going to say yes to Jesus, and as as much as I know how today, I'm going to say yes. I'm willing to begin to make this journey and just, just walk this path with you, Lord. And this is for everybody. Father, we thank you for the gift of life. Jesus, we thank you for becoming obedient to the death of the cross and exchanging places with us so we could be connected with life. We could be connected with God. Father, I thank you for loving me. I yield my heart and my mind to your influence, to your power, to your strength, to your holiness and your righteousness. I open myself completely to be influenced and transformed and taught by you. I thank you for your grace that's continual. I thank you that I'm forgiven and I am committed to walking in your love. Now, just one more time, think about that people group or that, even that one person. I'm going to walk in love in this situation. And if you're making that commitment, you're going to walk in that love. Just, just lift up your hand. You're just kind of making that acknowledgement to him. Yep, hands all over. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for your guidance. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.